Hello Beautiful, I'm Amy Errett, founder of Madison Reed, a hair color company I named after my daughter. Madison Reed delivers gorgeous, lasting, high quality hair color made with ingredients you could feel good about. And our licensed colorists are here to help you every step of the way. Experience your best hair color ever. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Use code RADIO10. Welcome to a world of mystery, shadows, and conspiracy. We invite you to take a look behind the glittering doors of Hollywood and witness the weirdest and most interesting conspiracies of the world of film. Welcome to The Hollywood Files. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, into a world full of mystery and deceit and maybe a little bit of blood. This is The Hollywood Files, where myself, Chris, and the ever-astute and knowledgeable Byron, take a look into the various, uh, I guess you could say, mysteries surrounding Hollywood, and there's a lot of them. So, without further ado, Byron, what is the first case we're going to be cracking? The first case that we're going to be talking about in the uh, Hollywood Files is a very, very interesting uh, murder, and it was the murder of William Desmond Taylor. Now, Ooh. most people, yeah, most people don't know about this guy. But, you know, um, you know, and I can say here, it's like, you know, when, when I mentioned, you know, the 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 golden age of Hollywood, the the start of the movie world, you know, what kind of comes to mind when you think of like old world Hollywood? You, uh, you that? Black and white, uh, the, the silent films, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, and Charlie Chaplin. Uh, that's mm-hmm. also a, that's also a big thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that, and that's what we that's what we always think. And we think of kind of like, you know, we, we see the world of Hollywood of that time through these films, you know, which is, of course, normal. And it's interesting that, you know, that 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 world had a seedy underbelly and it was very, you know, exactly. It was there. <laughs> there was grisly crimes. There was all kinds of stuff. And this first one, you know, is I would say this 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 murder mystery, it's worthy. It's worthy of a film noir of a Humphrey Bogart or something like that, Ooh. you know, um, you know, so, you know, the, you know, a little background on William Desmond Taylor um, and his murder, you know, this, this guy, uh, he was born in Ireland uh, and he began working in Hollywood in 1914 and he died uh, in 1922. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious about something though. When was he born? Like, he was born. Um, I would have to double check here. It was in the eighteen, the late eighteen hundreds. Okay. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I'd have to. I'd have to have to double check here to find out his exact his exact birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but he 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 died. He died rather young. Uh, you know, he was only in his he was only in his fifties when he died. Um, and he was he was at the height of his career. Um, he was very well known in Hollywood. Uh, you know, I, I kind of use the example that like, you know, uh, it would be as if Clint Eastwood was was murdered by somebody and his case was unsolved. You know, and you can imagine just how big that would be in Hollywood if that happened now. Yeah. And that was what it was like with this guy, you know. And, it's almost like, a, I guess to kind of put it maybe in more of modern terms, because I don't know if the if our audience, if they understand uh i mean i know most most people know who clint eastwood is um but i mean he is aging right i mean he is probably at the end of of his tenure both of his as an actor and director uh so i would almost say imagine uh i don't know if people know like kenneth Branagh is Mm. or or um someone who is well known as a both an actor and a director uh, I mean, I was going to say like Chris Pratt, but no, that's not quite like that. I don't think. Yeah, n- not quite yet. Yeah, like I would say, you know, Chris Pratt maybe in the next ten years or so. Yeah. You know, um, you know, um, another another example it could um also be like almost would be like Chris Evans, Captain America. Yeah. You know, he, he's starting to go into the director's world now. Um, and it would be kind right, of like how about this? Bit. How about this? Bradley Cooper. You know what? I you just hit the nail on the head. That is a perfect example. Absolutely perfect. Bradley Cooper as if Bradley Cooper was shot by some mysterious assailant. That is what this case was like at the time. And that would be a tragedy because A Star is Born was really good. Oh, I have yet to see that film and I'm very excited about seeing it. 
because uh, I've heard some of the soundtrack. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, been a big fan of him ever since Alias. Mm. You know, so well bad. William. Well William Desmond Taylor. Uh, over those seven years that he was active, from 1914 to uh, to 1922, uh, he filmed um, over 60 silent motion pictures hmm. during that time. Um, now. You know, to be fair, you know, uh, motion pictures at that time were not as complex as our films of today. Right. So, you know, so you could at that you could film a, you, an entire silent movie at that point, most likely in like maybe two or three days, you know, maybe a little bit longer because sometimes they were short. So sometimes those films might have only been like 15, 20 minutes. I'd say, um, I'd say if that I, I think most of the time they were kind of serialized, too. Right. They were, <laughs> you know, you just you're going in to spend, you know, well, like you said, 15, 20, 20 minutes or so just to spend a little bit of time. They're, they weren't like the, the two hour long epics that we tend to get these days. Not at all. Yes. Like, you know, if anyone's familiar with like almost, you know, like the Hurricane Express, you know, those type of like short serial films, you know, that was the type of stuff that he did. Um, he also was an actor. He acted in 27 films between 1913 and 1915. Um, and perhaps uh, most um, most interesting was he also served as president of the Motion Picture Directors Association for a number of years. Is that you know, so, is this something equivalent to like the MPAA or something like that, or very similar? Yeah, almost kind of like the Directors Guild, I would say. Oh, okay. um, it similar because a lot of the functions of Hollywood that we have now did exist back then, but they were under different names, different associations. And we'll actually get into that a little bit more during, uh, when we get to the, the suspects, um, for, uh, his, his, uh, his murder, but, you know, to call him a prolific, you know, um, individual in films would be an understatement. Uh, you know, he, uh, he was very well known. Um, and his murder in Hollywood was one of one of the first major scandals. I wouldn't say it was the first, but it was one of the first. It was very high profile death. Um, it cost millions of dollars for studios. It ruined reputations. Um, his funeral was a huge affair. It was attended by the who's who of Hollywood royalty at that time. And, you know, weirdly enough, you know, as famous as he was, um, had he not been murdered, we would not even know who this man was. <laughs> that's a yeah. shame. I mean, that's a shame because mm-hmm. how many of these? Um, it's just insane. You think that some of these these actors and directors, you know, they they put a lot of effort into the into into the movie industry, mm-hmm. and yet we're never really going to hear much of them. And I think that might be just our culture's mm-hmm. issue and stuff. We tend to just, you know. No, it, it's it's true. You know, we, we tend to throw stuff away. You know, I have a friend up in Hollywood who he was talking to me about the, the Walk of Fame. And he said, you know, he said there's some very obscure areas of the Walk of Fame where he said nobody even knows who these people are, the names. He's like, even the Hollywood people don't know who these people are, wow. you know, because because they were such early pioneers of film that some of their films don't even exist anymore. Like they weren't saved. And so it's like you see this name, you're like, who is this person? They were from, the, you know, like almost, you know, 1914 or whatever. And, you know, and it's 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 sad. But, you know, I mean, even some of the more modern guys, you know, you think of, you know, like, you know, likes of Powers Booth or people who you know are well known, Stacey Keach, you know, and a lot of people have never heard of them. Yeah, I don't even know who those people are. Oh, yeah. See, they're character actors, you know, from the 80s and 90s, you know, really fantastic actors, great guys, you know, but, you know it's just kind of the way it goes in the business, you know, people come and go, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, so, you know, getting to the crime of what happened to William Desmond Taylor, Mm. um, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, a night much like any other, um, (laughs) on, uh, February 1st, 1922. Um, and at approximately 745, uh, PM, uh, Basically, William Desmond Taylor uh, walked his uh, his female companion to her car. This was Mabel, um, a woman named Mabel Normand, um, an actress. And she had been visiting with him and they'd been hanging out. Uh, they were romantically linked. One of the um, effects found on uh, on Taylor's person was a locket with her photo in it. So that oh. kind of tells you a little bit of they were connected. Um, and she was one of the last people to see him. It was the last person to see him alive besides his killer. Um, he went back into his apartment at, at about 8 PM 
And uh, the neighbors heard what they thought was a car backfiring at that point. Um, a woman named Faith McLean uh, went to her window and she saw what she believed was a man in a long coat wearing a muffler or having his collar turned up with a plaid cap over his face, she said. Um, she claimed that he looked at her and casually went back into the apartment as if he had forgotten something. Um, she later said he had a, whoever it was had an effeminate walk was kind of funny looking. Uh, but it said more than a decade later during the grand jury when she was uh, pressed kind of for information, she said that she really couldn't remember what he looked like. So we don't really know if it was a him, if it was a her. You know, to be honest, we don't even know uh, if she saw anybody. It could have been she made it up. You know, we, we don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all we know is that there was a dark, another neighbor who saw a dark figure, you know, after the uh, car backfire or the gunshot. Um, that's really all we know for sure about that. Um, but William Desmond Taylor was found the next morning uh, by his valet, a man named uh, Henry, uh, Henry Peavy. And he was lying on his back, uh, fully dressed in his normal everyday clothes, as if, you know, he'd come into his apartment. And uh, he was lying there dead. They said he had, like, blood around his mouth, um, and uh, but the funny thing is, is they didn't see blood elsewhere. And so it was assumed that he died of natural causes. Now, the thing is, is that a lot of people, you know, back then, the police crime scenes was not as aptly handled as it is today. Right. Um, you know, so even though the police alarm was raised by the time the police got there, there was already reporters taking uh, photos of the body of the crime scene. There was neighbors you know, um, in there talking about it, you know, so you imagine like just standing over a corpse, you know, talking, you know, it was, you know, very morbid, but it was kind of the way things were back then. Um, now this is one, uh, strange, uh, fact that, uh, of the case that is interesting that, um, it's been said that as the crowd was around the body, there was a man who came up to the body who claimed to be a doctor and he examined uh, um, Taylor and he claimed that he died of a stomach hemorrhage. He announced this to the crowd and then he ran out of the apartment and he was never seen again. Um, so it was really kind of uh, kind of very odd um, because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very strange, you know, because moments later when the body was examined, they found drum roll. Uh, Mm -hmm. that he had been shot in the back um and that was how he died not of a stomach hemorrhage <laughs> i mean maybe his stomach could have hemorrhaged after the <laughs> gunshot I, I don't know i don't know yeah so it was like you know like you said it's possible you know yeah maybe you know he died of a stomach hemorrhage as a result of a bullet you know um but you know basically the doctor left as mysteriously as he came um, which kind of, you know, without getting too much into the suspects later, but it almost kind of makes you wonder, you know, was it the assassin returning to the scene of the crime to take some evidence from maybe his body or something? Could, you know? could the assassin have also been an actor of sorts? Because mysterious doctor, they came in playing the role as a doctor, you know. Mm -hmm. That's actually a very good point, you know, because you think, you know, Desmond Taylor was a member of the, you know, the, the greatest illusion society in America in the world, you know, um, you know, acting was rather new at that point, you know, I mean, acting had always been around, but the, the theatrical acting of the screen was new. So mm -hmm. it's not, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that that might have been possible. Um, a detective was assigned to the case. Uh, his name was Edward King. Uh, and he ruled out robbery immediately uh, because um, valuables were found around the apartment. Uh, Taylor had $78 in his wallet, um, which at that point was a lot of money um, in 1922. $78 would have probably, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a money guy, but I would say that would probably have been at least maybe $1,000, if not more, several thousand. Um, so it's uh, a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah, give me a moment. I'll actually bring up an inflation calculator. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and we can find out exactly how much that is. Uh, you know, so as, as you're looking uh, as you're looking that up, um, uh, an interesting fact, and this kind of leads us down the road into kind of the 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 conspiracy uh, element of this murder. Um, that it is believed uh, that the manager of the famous Players Lasky studio of films, which is um, now known as Paramount Pictures, 
um, a man named uh, Charles Eaton. Uh, it was believed that uh, he, both he and several representatives of the studio actually came to the apartment and removed items from it. <laughs> And it's not known what they removed or possibly what they brought in, you know, what they planted. It's not known. Uh, but um, it how, is. It how do is, they have access to his apartment? That is another interesting question that hasn't been asked because a lot of the documentation from this case have been lost over the years. Um, so a lot of what we know is from eyewitnesses, um, fragments of police reports that are left. Um now, what it is believed, though, you know, um, and of course, you know, there are conspiracy theorists and such, but um, I want to say right off the bat that it is not believed that the studio had anything to do with his murder or that Charles Eaton was involved in it. Um, the, the kind of ruling thought at the time, uh, I mean, at uh, the current uh, time, is that they were basically trying to avoid scandal uh, because at that point in time, uh, there had been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, scandals plaguing the entertainment industry, um, almost kind of like how there is now. Yay. Uh, <laughs> you know, things have not changed. Uh, but, you know, it's been said uh, supposedly that when they came to the apartment, they seized his letters. Um, they seized any bootlegged liquor they found. And they even instructed his valet to start cleaning up the blood in the apartment. Um. And it is believed the reason they did this was because at that point, uh, the entertainment industry had been rocked by the rape and murder trial of the comedian uh, Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, he was um, he was accused of raping and murdering a woman oh. uh, at a party. It was a very violent affair. Um, it might be something that we cover in a future Hollywood file, possibly. Um, and he was acquitted um of that crime um his but his career was completely ruined he was never able to get back to where he was um and uh you know an example like fatty arbuckle would have been like if robin williams had been accused of something um and so at that point there was or a if, lot of uh, bill cosby got accused of oh. Exa exactly it would be like a bill cosby oh wait <laughs> oh too so soon, too soon yeah too soon yeah <laughs> You know, so um, so it is believed that they seized stuff from his apartment basically because they didn't want another Fatty Arbuckle situation going on. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, so it's not believed that they had anything to do with the actual crime. Um, you know, um, an author named um, uh, Robert uh, Robert uh, Giraud, I believe his last name is. Um, he said in an interview later on, and I'm going to quote him here. Uh, he said, the studios seem to be fearful that if certain aspects of the case were exposed, it would exacerbate their problems. Um, Dur, a director and producer, also said of the case in 1968, quote, last year I interviewed a Los Angeles police detective, uh, William Michael Cahill Sr. He's now retired. Um, he had been assigned to the case immediately after the murder, and he told me, quote, we were doing all right, and then about a week when we were out, we got the word to lay off the case. You know, so, you know, that alone is pretty interesting. <laughs> someone didn't want something coming out. Yeah, someone didn't want something coming out, you know. And as we get into the suspects, you know, I have some theories as to what the studio might have been trying to cover up. Um, you know, and again, you know, it, it may have had just to do with scandal, you know, it, you know, there could have been other reasons who knows, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but, uh, it, it definitely, there was, there was definitely a cover up that happened with multiple parties, <laughs> uh, which by the way, I just wanted to uh, inject here, uh, in 1922, if, uh, you purchased an item, uh, for $78, uh, today, yeah, it would end up being $1,173.60. So he had almost $1,200 just sitting in his wallet. <laughs> yeah, no one you know? no one grabbed it. And no one grabbed it, you know. And it's like, you know, even nowadays, I would venture to say most people do not carry $1,200 in their wallet. Uh, most people you know? carry $78 in their, mm -hmm. in their wallet. <laughs> exactly. So that was a lot, you know, so that was a lot of money for them. So the fact that no one stole that seems to indicate that this was not a... You know, there was this was not a this was a premeditated 
of some sort um uh murder you know um now um interest now you know getting into a little bit of um some of the possible reasonings for uh this murder um and this is a very interesting one uh that it was said that about um five days after the uh after the murder um the uh, actress uh, Mary Miles Minter uh, was being interviewed and um, uh, basically uh, following um, a uh, friend, Marshall uh, Nealon, uh, he said that he had been told that Taylor had made several highly, quote, delusional statements about some of his social acquaintances, including Mary Miles Minter, um, in the weeks before his death. Um, she also said that Marshall uh, Nealon said that Taylor had recently, quote, become insane. Okay, so, you know, uh, not a very, uh, not a very good thing to say about somebody before they were murdered. <laughs> um, and where this, you know, and you might be wondering, Chris, you know, uh, what does this have to do with the case? You know, uh, you know, you know, maybe he was depressed, whatever. Why? Why is that important? Right. Uh -huh. Well, the interesting thing is, is, you know, he was known as a ladies man. Uh, he was a heavy drinker. Uh, he possibly dealt with depression. Um, but what is interesting is uh, in 1908, uh, at the age of um, age of 36, he deserted his wife and daughter and just vanished in October of that year. Now, after his disappearance, yeah, it's like very strange, isn't it? Like you hear about that stuff every now and then, but just to like vanish um, and there were some people who said he was like panning for gold in some areas, others that he was like a miner at some point. It was very odd um, about his disappearance. But some of his friends uh, and family had said that he, he had suffered from, quote, mental lapses before. Um, and they had wondered if he had wandered off in, a, in an episode of, of, uh, of uh, amnesia. Now I'm wondering something here though. Was he ever part of like the military of of any sorts? He was, in fact. <laughs> so hmm. yeah, so that is actually an interesting point that you bring up, which almost makes you wonder, you know, was there some maybe some PTSD involved in this? You know, um he was involved in the uh, let me uh I have it in my uh I have it in my folder here of uh what branch the military he was in so let me uh aha uh let's see he was in the uh he was involved in uh i believe in world war one mm -hmm. um he was in the canadian expeditionary force as a private um and uh and he traveled to london um during the his time as a uh, as a soldier and he was ultimately assigned to the royal army service corps um of the Expe expeditionary forces canteen service stationed at dunkirk um he was promoted to the temporary grade of lieutenant in 1919 uh and his final billet uh was with the um company d of the royal fusiliers so um so he didn't quite see, you know, like combat really, um, but he was in the military though. So, um, you know, so that may have something to do with it. Who knows? Hmm. So yeah. very, very odd. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that he just, I mean, did he just totally like, excommunicate his family almost? Just like, like uh, he was there one day and he's gone the next and then, you, then they look up and they're like, Oh, hey, he's in movies now. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, exactly. Yeah, it was just, it was very, it was very strange. Like, um, uh, that it, um, you know, when they said that he had, uh, he had had his mental lapses, it said little is known about the years immediately following his disappearance. He traveled through Canada, Alaska, and the Northwestern United States, uh, conducting gold mining and working with various acting troops. Um, eventually, he switched from acting to producing of those troops. And by the time he arrived in San Francisco in 1912, um, he had uh, his original name was William uh, Dean Tanner, but he changed his name to William Desmond Taylor. And, um, you know, you know, this from I don't know if this really happens often, but you ever seen like it's like uh, it, it is amnesia. 
that he has, it seems like. But it's almost like a form of dementia where mm-hmm. you kind of, you, you, I don't know, you forget who you were. And then mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, wait, this is what I'm going to be or something like that. And because mm-hmm. it's like, it seems so weird to go from he was, you know, well, granted, it seemed like when he was in the military, uh, being part of the canteen service, mm-hmm. like he worked in a mess hall. You know, mm-hmm. like he was mostly doing. Um, and I'm not like downplaying his role in the military. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's got to do something, uh, and you know, feeding you know troops isn't isn't like a bad service at all. But mm-hmm. it just seemed like he never really got far. Mm-hmm. And then he just randomly just said, uh, "Okay, all right, I'm back home." And maybe the PTSD or something, right? Something mm-hmm. triggered in his brain, and it just caused him just to go, "Whoop! All right, I'm gonna be a director now." Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, exactly, because it is definitely, definitely odd, you know. Because, like, I mean, obviously, the movie industry was new, you know, it was the kind of the Wild West type thing, you know. But, but like you said, you know, to go from panning for gold in the northwestern United States. You know, to going to San Francisco, meeting a friend, getting money and and oh, I'm an actor. I'm a director now. You know, it's like, you know, like you said, it makes you wonder if there was some kind of disassociation, you know, mentally with him, possibly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a it's it's very, very interesting. Um, And what's also kind of interesting, too, was it says between 1914 and 19, Taylor was engaged to actress uh, Neva Gerber. Um, who he met during the filming of uh, of the film The Awakening. And it said Gerber later recalled he was the soul of honor, a man of personal culture, education, and refinement. I have never known a better man, a finer or better man. Now, that's a high compliment. Okay. Right. But, but then you also hear about before, you know, previously in the early 1900s, before he was involved in acting and all that, that he was a member of a yacht club and was known to carry on affairs with women. You know, so it's like he was constantly having affairs, ladies' man. Now, you know, I'm not saying that just because somebody is a ladies' man that they are, you know, that they're a jerk or anything like that. You know, they're, you know, somebody can be, you know, a bit of a playboy and stuff. So I'm not downplaying, you know, that, uh, you know, I personally don't, you know, don't advocate that lifestyle. But if somebody does, you know, that's up to them. To each their own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, but it's like, you know, the fact that he's carrying on these affairs with, you know, what it it alludes to his married women and stuff. He doesn't quite seem to be the man of personal culture and the soul of honor, you know? So it almost seems like, I don't know, like, you know, going back to like what you were saying that kind of like the, you know, the flip of possibly of, of his brain, you know, um, that he was one way with some people, one way with the other. Interestingly enough though, I'm seeing here, like as far as the timeline is going, he had his, uh, he vanished in 1908, mm-hmm. uh, and then was it five years afterwards he was working as a movie actor. Uh, but then five years after that, uh, he enlisted in the military. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's a very, his story is very odd. Like it's very, it's very interesting. Like I would be very interested to know about his time in, in, in the war, you know, during like world war one, because, you know, I will confess I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm a history buff, but my specialty is not really in that, that timeline of, of, uh, of world war one. So I don't know if possibly he was, he was drafted maybe i don't know no i I, I think he was i think he was uh he just volunteered yeah you know and that is is uh it's very it's yeah he was he was a bit of um i don't know he he seemed like he was maybe had that wanderlust maybe a little bit i'm not sure (laughs) um you know and uh that kind of uh I almost want to say like maybe he had a danger streak in him, you know, of, you know, that he was constantly seeking a, like a, um, a thrill seeker. That's the word I'm, I'm looking for, you know, because, you know, he was settled with a family, but that wasn't enough, you know, and then he went and he was running through the Northwestern United States, you know, panning for gold, you know, uh, doing all this, all this outdoors work, then reestablishing himself with a new name, 
you know, and that will kind of play into a little bit later with one of his liaisons with one of the suspects that might lead into that kind of thrill seeker behavior that he had that might have led to his death. So it's, you know, I, I think, though, that's very interesting, though, of uh, those questions you asked of like his background, because it kind of lends a little bit to his mindset, possibly of the person that he was. So he couldn't make his mind up. Mm hmm. You know, yeah, and it, and it seems that, you know, I I cautiously, you know, I cautiously would say that it seems like he did suffer from mental illness of some sort. Um, you know, I um, possibly a form of like an extreme bipolar, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you uh, know, I, I take back what I say about the PTSD, because now, like after seeing the timeline of things, mm -hmm. you know, he was an actor slash director before he jumped into the military. Mm hmm. Which is just weird. He it is, is very strange, you know, because you also look at in Dunkirk before yeah, World War II, which is really yeah, weird. Because you look at you know people like Jimmy Stewart, you know, who was a bomber, you know, who was a bombardier, you know, in World War II. But he went because of the way it was with patriotism, with the draft. You know, it was like, you know, this was not, you know, it wasn't like what Desmond Taylor did. You know, right? Um, you know, it doesn't seem like Desmond Taylor was overwhelmed with this patriotism, you know, because he joined the Canadian Expeditionary Force. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, he just he just seems like know. he joined for the giggles, you know. Just, uh -huh. or, or who knows? Maybe he did feel like because because it, it says it was towards the end of World War One, so maybe mm -hmm. he was just like, well, hey, you know what? I want to do something, so let's mm -hmm. let's just jump in with this. Mm -hmm. But you know, as it's stated, you know, he wasn't doing. He wasn't going out there and like fighting on the front lines at all. You know, he was doing more, you know, secondary work. Exactly. And, and, and also it's important, I think, to look at kind of like what you said, that this is a pattern, you know, that this isn't the first time that he's just kind of picked up and gone to something else. You know, he, you know, he picked up and left his family, you know, so, um, you know, and so it's, it's kind of interesting because that, you know, you know, because, you know, we've kind of established that there was some kind of, mental illness, PTSD, some kind of dissociative behavior possibly going on with him, you know, um, you know, as I said, it was so long ago, you know, that, uh, you know, we don't have records, we can only, you know, we can only speculate. Um, but, you know, this kind of opens up a little bit kind of of, uh, of the suspects, you know, of the people who were involved uh, in his murder that, you know, of who possibly maybe committed it, who maybe had reasons to want him dead. Um, you know, so we can jump in a little bit to that and that will play into, I think a little bit of his, possibly his, 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 uh, mental, um, state at that time. Right. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, this is almost kind of like a murder on the Orient Express of like these characters, these unsavory, you know, some wealthy, some criminals, you know? So the first one on our list is a guy named Edward Sands. Okay. He had prior convictions for embezzlement, forgery, and serial desertion from the U.S. military. Interesting, a military connection. Hmm. Um, he had worked as Taylor's valet and cook until seven months before the murder. Okay. Now, Taylor um, was in Europe the summer before his murder, and his valet, Sands, had forged Taylor's names on checks and even wrecked his car. Um, he had stolen items uh, from the, his bungalow and uh, just was an overall unsavory fellow. Now, interestingly enough, though, after Desmond Taylor was murdered, Sands was never heard from again. <laughs> hmm. You know, so, you know, uh, you know, we can read into that as we may. But, you know, interestingly enough, though, he disappeared. Um, the second uh, one was uh, the man who found his body, Henry Peavy. Uh, he replaced Sands as the valet. Uh, now, newspapers noted that PV at the time wore flashy golf costumes, but he did not own any golf clubs. Now, that's weird. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, I don't exactly know what to read into that, but it's just kind of an odd element about him. Um, three days before Taylor's murder, uh, PV had been arrested for social vagrancy and he had been charged with lewd, with, uh, with acts that were lewd and dissolute. Um, I don't know exactly what that means at that time because certain crimes had different meanings back then. Um, if I, if I, if I could, if I could inject something here, cause I am doing a little bit of my own reading. Uh, he did in, in 1931 though, he did die in a San Francisco asylum. 
where he had been hospitalized for syphilis-related dementia. So mm-hmm. his behavior uh, is being arrested for, you know, because it said, you know, obviously three days before the murder, he was arrested mm-hmm. uh, for social vag- vagrancy and being lewd and dissolute. Mm-hmm. That could have had something to do with that dementia kind of starting to, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? Because, I mean, it was only, what, nine years later that he died? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's a very, very likely, you know, it, that could have even contributed to his wearing these flashy golf costumes, but not ever golfing, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, his mind might not have all been there, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, so that's very, that's very interesting. That was a good, uh, good note that you, uh, that you found there about that. Right. Um, so, um, now the next one that we go to on the list is uh, a familiar name. We've talked about her, uh, Mabel Normand. Um, the love interest, uh, the last one to see him alive. Uh, she was a comedic actress. She frequently co-starred with uh, Charlie Chaplin and uh, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, the one we mentioned before. Um, now, according to the author uh, who we mentioned before, Robert uh, Giroux, um, he said that Desmond Taylor was deeply in love with Normand. Um, and... Uh, Now, this is where we get into a possible motive for this murder and possibly also the reasoning for the conspiracy with Paramount Pictures at the time. Um, Now, uh, uh, Mabel Normand uh, was a cocaine addict. Uh, And basically, uh, it said based upon Normand's subsequent statements to investigators after the murder, she had had repeated relapses of cocaine addiction and it had devastated Desmond Taylor. Now, according to the author, uh, Desmond Taylor had met with federal prosecutors shortly before his death and had offered to assist them in filing charges against Mabel Norman's cocaine suppliers. And the author, Giroux, had expressed a belief that he believed that Norman's suppliers had learned of this meeting and hired a hitman to assassinate the director. Um, now, according to the author, Giroux, Norman suspected the reason for her lover's murder, but she did not know the identity of the triggerman. Okay. Hmm. So this is an interesting, you know, it, you know, at first it seems a little, a little, um, what's the word, uh, uh, a little fantastic, you know, almost seems like the script of a movie. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it, it isn't the cause, but it does seem a little interesting um, this would also explain the uh, the conspiracy with Paramount Pictures at the time, because the current manager and the uh, representatives, if they knew that he was kind of involved in almost like bringing down this drug trade and he might have been murdered by these drug dealers, they would have sought to remove any and all evidence of that because they would not have wanted a drug scandal basically to come out like a murder scandal would have been better than, oh, you know, basically, you know, Bradley Cooper involved with a cartel, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that's like what the news would read now if it was that that's like what it would have been at that point. Um, and uh, and so so it's interesting. So I'm, you know, like I said, that's, you know, it's just from this author, but it's it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could see I could I literally see it playing out something like this, mm-hmm. you know, the the contract killer, or even it could have even been the uh, supplier himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming it was a he, just because of how social norms were back then. Mm-hmm. Um, following them, you know, watching mm-hmm. them, keeping an eye. Okay, he. They're not going to take out Mabel, obviously, because she's <laughs> going to keep buying the, the supplier. But no, we want to get rid of of William, mm-hmm. and then, you know. Approaching him from behind, you know, hey, yeah, are you, you're, yeah, don't move, you know, put your hands up. Mm -hmm. Were you the one that was trying to end so-and-so's addiction? Yes, I was. Bang. Mm -hmm. You know, or kind of maybe there was some kind of interaction and, you know, he then falls over, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's interesting that you mentioned they come up, you know, uh, put your hands up. The gun because it was stated that the entry uh level of the wound in of the bullet hole in his body and the entry point through his jacket his um his uh suit jacket 
and his vest had indicated that his his arms were raised. Hmm. So that is interesting that you mentioned that because that does play along with this uh, this kind of theory here of he has his hands up because somebody has a gun to his back. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it is also possible, you know, it's also possible that whoever went there possibly didn't mean to kill him, that it could have been they wanted to scare him, to warn him off, don't meet with the prosecutors anymore. They have the gun to his back. And they had said with the um, the powder burns that the gun was close to him. So it means that somebody had it to him. And it's possible that he was going to, he was turning to try and overwhelm his attacker and bang, you know, they fire in the heat of the moment, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, and I almost, you know, I almost want to say, you know, that it kind of makes me wonder if some of this might've been heat of the moment, you know, because we had go back to this mysterious doctor who came and, you know, what better way to get access to you're a medical professional <laughs> right yeah to mm -hmm. verify that he's dead you know mm -hmm. maybe it was you know maybe okay maybe it was a hard hard killer mm -hmm. and maybe the doctor quote unquote that ran up was the supplier and he just wanted to verify mm -hmm. okay he's dead mm -hmm. all right it, i gotta i gotta act out a little bit but okay he's dead and then you never see him again Mm -hmm. no exactly like that would you know that would make sense you know because like you said you know it's just it's strange to have these these rumors you know and these statements that were made regarding a you know drug trafficking then you have a mysterious figure at the scene of the crime who's never seen again um and then you have you know uh the studio that he worked for cleaning out his apartment you know so it's you know it, it it all flows together interestingly enough here to kind of form of why this cover-up happened at the studio and also possibly why his murder happened right uh, now an interesting thing enough though is uh there is two more um or uh, um excuse me there's a couple more uh suspects here that also had some reasoning for possibly wanting him dead and also uh, we have a confession coming up and we also possibly have a murder weapon. And um, so we can go over those real quick and then we can kind of maybe talk about it, see which theory, whether the um, contract killer with the drug trafficking or this next case, possibly which one seems more likely to us here. Um, so um, obviously, you know, uh, um, we had uh, mentioned uh, Mary Miles Minter, uh, who was a, a child star and uh, her career had been guided by Desmond Taylor and love letters were found um, mm -hmm. in his bungalow uh, that were supposedly rather risque, um, you know, right. uh, you know, uh, that were kind of detailing some of their possible liaisons or whatever. Um, and scandalous, very scandalous for the time. And reporters had alleged that they had a physical relationship between the then 49 year old Taylor and what would have been the 17-year-old uh, Minter, uh, who was 19 uh, at the time of his death. Um, now, the author, uh, Robert Giraud, who we've referenced several times, uh, disputed this allegation. Now, he claimed that according to uh, Mary Minter's own statements, that the love that she had for Taylor was unrequited, that she was obsessed with him, but he kind of kept his distance from her. You know, he didn't want to be involved with her because he felt he was too old for her. Hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, so there is, you know, you know, there, you know, some people wondered, you know, was it that, you know, she wanted his love, but he maybe said, no, I'm in love with Mabel Normand, you know, and possibly in a fit of rage, you know, she killed him possibly. Um, so that is one thing, but there is even more this this thing with Mary Minter. It gets even more murky and even even more uh, shadowy here um, as we go as her mother is involved, Charlotte Shelby. Um, now she was described as a manipulative woman who was consumed by greed and control over her daughter's career. Um, you know, her her daughter was very successful in the film industry. You know, um, if we think of somebody nowadays, you know, uh, you know, we could maybe think of, you know, like a Dakota Fanning, possibly, uh, if people still remember her um, or um, uh, the actress from Stranger Things. Uh, uh, her name escapes me. Uh, 
who plays Eleven. Is uh, Billy something. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, like she, you know, she's a very popular actress now in tons of films, TV programs. Uh, making it a, a lot of uh, money, so it would have been someone like that almost. I, I kind of, I kind of uh, attribute it or make it a, more akin to uh, if anyone has ever seen anything regarding Judy Garland. Mm, the Ju- Judy Garland is a fascinating case. Yeah, fascinating. Yes, tragic. Bar- bar- Barbiturates in the morning, everybody. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, it was so her her death and her her life was so tragic because she was so talented. Um, you know, if, and yeah, if, if anybody who's listening to this hasn't seen any films with Judy Garland, definitely check out some of them. outside of Wizard of Oz, outside Every, of Wizard of Oz. Yes, yes. Yeah. Go see something mm-hmm. that's got her in it. That isn't Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was in a series of films with Mickey Rooney that were excellent. Uh, and just, you know, very, very gr- good actress, uh, whose life sadly ended before her, her time. But so, you know, so Charlotte, uh, Shelby, you know, this controlling manipulative mother, um, it was known to have a lot of problems with her daughter, Mary Minter. Um, they fought over financial disputes um, and even lawsuits at one point. They, but they did reconcile. Um, now, the interesting thing here is that Shelby was obsessed with Minter's career of wanting her to succeed. Okay. Now, the initial statements that Shelby made to the police um, about the murder were characterized by the police as obviously filled with lies. Um, and, uh, they did not believe basically what she was talking about. Um, now, you know, that kind of ended her involvement though, but what ended up coming that was a compelling piece of circumstantial evidence was that Desmond Taylor was killed with a 38 caliber pistol. Um, and with some unusual bullets as it was, uh, as it was described, um, now, uh, uh, Charlotte Shelby owned a 38 caliber pistol that was rare that also had unusual bullets that were similar to the caliber and uh, style that had killed Desmond Taylor. Okay, now, a lot of people own guns like that. So that's, you know, you could say, oh, she just owned a gun that was similar. Well, as soon as this information became public, she took that uh, gun and threw it into a Louisiana bayou, never to be seen again. <laughs> um, okay, wait, wait what? <laughs> <laughs> I I can't say if you know. Granted, I think due to uh, Miss Shelby's uh, erratic behavior, potentially, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if I would be willing to say that she did anything of that nature. I don't think that she has said, which we don't have the actual statement, so we can't read what was stated. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we weren't alive around then, but I don't know. I don't think that. Um, I don't know. It just there's just nothing from her standpoint that just makes me go. There you go. There's the there's the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a wild coincidence mm-hmm. at the same time, and I think that her throwing the pistol into the bayou was more of an act of maybe paranoia. I would agree with this because you know her first you know because the thing is is that you know she was completely obsessed with her daughter's career. And if it would come out, if it had come out that she, and the thing is, is that, you know, uh, Minter had been discovered by Desmond Taylor and had been in his films. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense for Miss Shelby to have murdered him because basically that would be killing your meal ticket, basically. Right. You know, and even in some kind of fit of rage or whatever, you know, we can see they had disputes, they had lawsuits. There's not really a lot of evidence that we have right now that she, that they were violent, that she was a violent person. You know, so I agree with you. I think that this that uh, most likely she was not the murderer. Um, now, our last suspect was a woman named Margaret Gibson. Okay, she was a film actress who had worked with Desmond Taylor when he first came to Hollywood. So this is after he had come back from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Now, in 1917, this is where it gets interesting because remember back, you know, about the possible involvement that Desmond Taylor had with drug traffickers that Miss Gibson was indicted, tried, but then acquitted on charges of prostitution. Okay. But get this, there was also allegations of opium dealing. Hmm. Okay? And after this, she changed her professional name to Patricia Palmer. 
Okay. In, in 1923, after Desmond uh, Taylor's death, she was arrested and jailed on extortion charges, which were later dropped. Um, Gibson was 27 years old at the time and in Los Angeles during the murder. Now, no record of her name was ever mentioned in connection with the investigation. Okay. Soon after the murder, though, she continued working in Paramount, what, what was then uh, uh, the famous Players Lasky, Paramount Pictures. Uh, and did some more movies. Now, she died in 1964, but here's the interesting thing. She reportedly confessed to murdering Desmond Taylor. I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. You know, so now I would say this, though, okay? Uh, it is worth remembering, okay? She was possibly involved in the opium trade, in the drug trade. And if we remember back to... Uh, Faith McLean, who was the who heard the gunshot outside of his apartment or inside his apartment, and she claimed that when she looked and saw someone walking out, she did see someone with quote an effeminate walk. <laughs> so, it is interesting to consider. You know, was Margaret Gibson the one who killed him over something to do with this drug trafficking? Possibly. I mean, I think. You know, when it comes to straight up motive, mm -hmm. you know, you have to look at uh, someone connected to Mabel Norman. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, could this same person had also had, you know, dealings with Margaret Gibson? Mm -hmm. You know, whomever the supplier of the cocaine was. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, th I mean, honestly, maybe Gibson did kill Taylor. You know, but it, it, she has far less of a motive, I feel like, uh, than, well, pretty well, I mean, the, Denny and hardly anyone on the on the list has a, has a legit motive. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there was more involvement with uh, Miss Norman. Mm -hmm. Therefore, and there was more, I, I guess it's just, I guess it just kind of comes down to this. We know more about, about... Uh, Taylor's interaction with Norman mm -hmm. exactly. and, 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 and what was going on. We know very little about his interaction with Gibson. Very little. In fact, all we really know about that is really that she was a film actress who had worked with him when he first came to Hollywood. So circa 1914, 1915, somewhere around that time. But, but I, I want to I throw some things at, you know, at you though, that, that, are, that are interesting, that I find interesting. Uh, Margaret Gibson. She was 27 years old mm -hmm. when Taylor was murdered. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was 1922. When he first came to Hollywood, it was 1917. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It wasn't even 19. It was 19 what? Uh, 1914. All right. He was acting around 1913. So, yes. So, we could say around 1913. We'll Yeah, we'll say around 1913 then. Okay. So, she was 27 in 1922. How old would she would she have been in nineteen thirteen? That's nine she, years. She would have been approximately between the ages of eighteen and nineteen, somewhere along those lines. Give or take. Okay. Give or take, yeah. Somewhere around there. Okay. We know Taylor is a womanizer. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. We don't know the relationship between Margaret Gibson and William Taylor. We do not. Mm -hmm. There's not any evidence of anything else. Yeah. And in fact, there is no record of her name even being brought up in connection with the murder investigation. <laughs> right. So there's, you know, I wonder, okay, if part of the reason why. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from uh, Paramount that, uh, that went in and, and, and grabbed a bunch of stuff. Oh, um, yeah, it was uh, Charles um, Eaton. <laughs> okay, all right, because I'm I'm because I'm seeing some uh, some other information here that's that's just got my head spinning here. Okay, so they 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 broke that essentially broke into his apartment. They call it a bungalow. And and seized various bits of information. Mm -hmm. It states that Mary Miles' mentor uh, 
some of uh, with her some of this it says the uh, facsimiles of Minter's passionate letters to Taylor were printed in newspapers. Mm-hmm. So they didn't take those letters mm-hmm. because I would assume that those were letters that were already mailed to him mm. that would have been in the bungalow. So what I'm wondering is this: they broke in because they knew number one, Charles Charles uh, Eaton. Titan mm-hmm. probably knew who it was. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know, he, he knew he had some, inc- he, I think it's safe to say that he had an, I, he knew what the murder was about, whether right. what it, he knew it was, a, he knew what the circumstances and the, he knew what the motive was. Let's say right. That. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to make this assumption purely speculation, but it's just what I've observed. I want to say that due to and this was probably mo- part of the reason why Mentor or not Mentor but um Taylor didn't really want to be involved with a mentor. Mm. Look, I've worked with you, I brought you up. I just don't feel comfortable being in any kind of relationship with you even though you're of age. Mm-hmm. Maybe the reason why he said no was because he had been involved in a relationship with Margaret Gibson. Mm. It was never documented, and we never knew, because those letters, potentially, were Mm. seized by Charles Eaton. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, we don't know what was in those letters. Mm -hmm. We don't know what those documents were. Don't know what it was they seized. They just seized evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just took it. They just took it. So, Mm. maybe... Once again, pure speculation. There's a lot of years in between. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was a fling of his. Mm-hmm. Off and on. Mm-hmm. She gets frustrated with him. Sees him with another woman. Mm-hmm. Knows that he's in a relationship with this with, with Miss Hammond. Mm-hmm. And kills him. Mm. That's very that's very interesting, uh huh. And very possible. I mean, we've seen several times the the upset, you know, uh, lover. Mm-hmm. Maybe or maybe maybe it was more along the lines of, you know, they had an off and on relationship for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Maybe she had never had, you know, like there was, you know, you know how it is. I mean, and, and honestly, I, I feel like when um, in, in certain situations, you know, when you let yourself go with people. Mm-hmm. You kind of lose all thought, all rationale, all logic. Mm-hmm. Maybe she became infatuated with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he knew about this. Maybe, like I said, maybe because of that is the reason why he pushed Mentor away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out, you know, unrequited love, sure, because I've experienced mm-hmm. this before. I don't want to have this again. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it may have drove Margaret Gibson bit crazy and what's interesting too is that when he had denied the relationship with minter she was the same age that possibly gibson would have been when he worked with her mm-hmm. which is very interesting and i was doing a little bit of uh, while we were talking here i was looking up a little bit more to of margaret gibson and one thing that is very interesting is um, uh, Faith uh, McLean, who was the one who saw the supposed effeminate walk of the person who left the apartment. Um, she claimed that the person who was dressed in the clothes, she said, quote, looks like my idea of a motion picture burglar. Which I think is interesting because that almost alludes to the fact that this is somebody who is not used to committing a crime and somebody who was dressing the part like an actress or an actor. Uh-huh. There you go. Mm-hmm. That they, that they were doing something that they had seen in motion pictures before. And the, a little bit more details around her confession in the sixties. Um, what's interesting too, is that it said that she had suffered a heart attack and was dying. And she had recently converted to Catholicism mm. and she asked for a priest and then confessed to neighbors, and I'm assuming the priest, about the murder. 
And it said that uh, that Gibson apparently had made similar remarks before in the early 60s. It said, while watching a local television program, which had featured a short segment about the unsolved murder of Taylor 40 years earlier, uh, Gibson, quote, became hysterical and blurted out that she had killed him, but thought it was long forgotten. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. And it said that there was some some possible rumors that possibly his death was related to a blackmail attempt. And that kind of goes into like what you were saying of mm-hmm. this unrequited love, possibly, you know, that, you know, that maybe, you know, she was blackmailing Desmond Taylor of basically, you know, I'm going to reveal our relationship, possibly, you know, mm-hmm. Um or, you know, or I'm going to, you know, spoil it for you with this woman that you love, you know, um, it's very interesting, you know, of course, obviously all speculation, but um, the pieces do kind of fit. And I mean, I'm looking at a picture of Margaret Gibson. She's not unattractive. No, uh-uh, not at all. <laughs> so I'm just I, to me, it just it, it, it makes sense that that's what that uh, what that could be. You know, but there's, but there's honestly, there's no telling. Mm-hmm. This is why it's an unsolved, you know, murder mystery. This is why it's, it's still considered a cold case. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and you know, at this point, we'll probably never ever find the answer to who actually killed William Desmond Taylor. No, I think yeah, I think like at at best, all we have right now is speculation. You know, because everybody involved, everybody alive at that point is dead (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know there there is no one there is no one alive now who was a witness um at best we would have maybe grandchildren who themselves weren't alive (laughs) at that time um so we're going with you know two two to three generations of witnesses and stories Mm -hmm. um but you know but like you said this that's why this is a, a cold case that you know, will likely never be solved except for, you know, some, some educated guesses like we have done in this program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll leave this up to, uh, to, to the rest of you uh, who are listening. You know, who do you think uh, murdered William Desmond Taylor? Uh, do, you, or do you think there was someone else that could potentially have been involved? Uh, don't let us be the, uh, the main people that don't let, or don't let us drive your opinion. You know, we want you to think for yourselves and, and, and just kind of, you know, come up with, with your own conclusion on this, because this is very fascinating and it feels like, it feels like we just played a game of uh clue. Uh, it, it really does. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was Colonel mustard in the, in the, in the lavatory with a wrench. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's very, it is very true. And it's interesting, you know, doing, going over these cases, going over the lives of these people, you know, it really shines, shines a light onto an area that has, you know, that, that possibly has not been talked about for years, you know, um, you know, something that, that was shrouded, shrouded in mystery and uh, would not be discussed if, if it weren't for this case. Mm-hmm. And, and it also points to the fact that, Scandal and Hollywood go together like, uh, I, I don't know, two things that really go good together. Um, peanut, peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. Go, go together like a warm chocolate chip cookie and some milk. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. You know, yes, the, the world of Hollywood was all was was a all it's always been glitz and glamour, but there's always been that dark undercurrent, you know, going all the way back to 1913. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can't escape it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with that, I think we're going to call this case, unfortunately, uh, still open. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not quite case closed. I wish it, I wish it were closed, but, uh, we're just going to forever guess. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we, we appreciate you guys listening, uh, to this episode of the Hollywood files. Uh, Byron, where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, if people would uh, would like to follow me, I am on Twitter at uh, um, at Byron Lafayette. Uh, I also have a uh, have a Facebook uh, page that they can uh, like if they want to see what I'm up to, which is also under the same name, uh, Byron Lafayette. Um, and also, you know, if you guys would like to, uh, if you guys enjoyed this podcast, and uh, if you want to hear more of these cold cases that we're going to be talking about with Hollywood. Um, you can find our uh, Facebook page, which is the Hollywood Files. 
uh, we are going to be posting all of our uh, all of our episodes on there, and um, you know probably have some have some uh, fun posts and polls and stuff for you to participate in. So so definitely go over there and give us a like. Yeah, we we want to uh, we want to encourage discussion. You know, when we post uh, these these podcasts out, we want people to 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 jump in and uh, to let us know what you think and to give you a, a platform to talk about. You know. Who you who you think did what you know, uh, so uh, but anyways we uh, thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll catch you guys next time on the Hollywood Falls. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other, a magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal. Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté. And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenny's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wow, that's pretty cool. But those glasses kind of make you look like your Uncle Bob. Oh, not exactly the look I was going for. Um, okay, how about these clear glasses? Oh, or these round ones? Very on trend. I like both on you. You know, I also like these aviator sunglasses. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenni.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at 695